I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're making our way through this letter and looking at how to struggle well in this life. We've finished chapter 1 and looked at struggling well in community, struggling well that Christ would be proclaimed, struggling well no matter what happens, and struggling well last week without fear. Uh, This morning, I want to talk about struggling well with humility, striving together despite what divides us. Now, there are lots of things that are dividing us these days, and when I think about that, it's not just dividing us uh, as a nation, but dividing even the evangelical church. Issues, I'm sure, if I mentioned these, we could have a wide variety of opinions here in this room that uh, would be quite remarkable. We would go, what? You actually believe that? You know, we would have those kinds of aha moments on issues like race or politics or even things like COVID masks and vaccines. Uh, I read an article this past week by a, guy, a pastor named Jim Davis, uh, who wrote the, the title of his article was called "The Brutal Privilege of Pastoring Today." <laughs> and here's what uh, just a couple of paragraphs from it uh, to help introduce this uh, these verses. He's describing what's happened over the last 18 months. Then tensions rose as racial and political polarization grew. If you, and he's speaking to pastors, if you addressed these issues, people got angry and left. If you didn't address them, people got angry and left. Even masks and vaccines became so contentious that people stopped going to church without so much as a conversation if they didn't agree with the decisions of their leadership. It didn't matter if you baptized them, married them, buried their family members, or sat with them at the moment death came for a loved one, relationships no longer seemed to matter the way they used to. The hermeneutic, which is a way of looking at things, the way of looking at things of suspicion, replaced believing the best as the Western evangelical church fractured beneath us. Relative peace and harmony gave way to gossip and slander, And then you put all that inside an American culture that doesn't value the work of a pastor the way it used to. This isn't a pity party, he says. It's acknowledging reality. Now, I I don't feel anywhere near that, but I do feel the sense of polarization and the sense of trying to be um, uh, thinking about unity in the midst of such a wide variety of issues that appear to be dividing the evangelical church. This past week, one of the commentaries that I looked at was one by a guy named Moises Silva, who wrote well before COVID this sentence, the obstacle to unity is not true difference of opinion, but self-centeredness. The obstacle to unity is not true difference of opinion, but of self-centeredness. 
if we are to struggle well in this life before Jesus returns, we must learn the capacity of being able to struggle well with humility. With that in mind, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing. There's a word to underline. The word is nothing. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Please have a seat. At the very beginning of this chapter, Paul tells us four possessions that the Christian has in order to struggle well. Uh, he begins by saying, so, and that goes back to everything that happened in chapter one about struggling well in community, that Christ be proclaimed no matter what happens and, and to do so without fear. But since these things are true, uh, and the word if here may best be translated since, um, that these are actual possessions of the Christian, uh, they will enable us to walk in humility. Uh, it's my belief, and I don't know that I have um, super solid ground on this, but I actually think the first three of these relate to God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, that Paul is imitating a benediction that he gave in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all is how he concludes that letter. I'm wondering if the first three of these possessions, he is imitating that formula here. The first one is encouragement in Christ. Encouragement in Christ. Have you ever wondered what it means to be in Christ? I mean, the New Testament has that all over it. I mean, all over the New Testament. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Well, it's Paul's shorthand for being a genuine believer in Jesus. That's what the phrase in Christ means, that you're a genuine believer in Jesus. To be sure, Christ is in us, but we, the predominant description in the New Testament, especially to say it in a short way, is to say that we are in Christ. So, what encouragement is derived from being in Christ? Only everything, <laughs> only everything, we have sins forgiven. We have eternal life with Christ. 
we have a confidence in God's purposes. When life is going haywire and we're struggling, we can struggle well because we know that God has a purpose behind it all. The encouragement carries both a comfort and an exhortation. In fact, the very word translated encouragement has both comfort associated with it and exhortation. Like saying, hey, remember who you are and remember whose you are, right? It's this encouragement that we have in Christ. We have that as our possession if you're a believer in Jesus. The second is comfort from love, and I'm going to suggest that it's comfort from the love of God the Father. Um, this comfort exists in the hardest of times, and some of us have been through some very, very hard times over the last 18 months. I would dare say that all of us would be able to enumerate some hard times, very few of us would go, well, these have been the best 18 months I've ever had in my life. Very few of us would be able to say that. Um, and yet, we have comfort from the love of God for us in the hardest of times. One, I've mentioned this before, but there's a, there's a pastor from Myanmar uh, who has joined... Our church, I mean, he's on live stream right now, I'm sure. Hello, Mangpu. Do you know that right now the government in Myanmar is persecuting the church, burning down villages? That Mangpu, the last time he communicated with me about it, is that the government allows two families and by families, it's not like extended families, just two individual families to gather together at any one time. That's it. Um, and yet, everything he sends me messages, how are you, pastor? How can I pray for your church? And he sends me pictures of the work that they're doing, trying to reach uh, boys and girls with the gospel. It's, it's comfort from love, isn't it? The love of God. It's comfort in the hardest of times. It exists because no matter how hard the times are for you, there is always love for the believer. And I don't know if we contemplate enough, we certainly do not comprehend the love that God has for us. You know, we sing it, we sing that hymn, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Um, and, and yet I wonder, do we possess that? There's comfort from love. Thirdly, participation in the Spirit. Now, we're not alone. Uh, you may feel lonely, but you are not alone as a believer in Jesus. We are a collective group of Christ followers, so we are in this together. We're not alone. But further, we are not alone because of the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us, participation in the Spirit. That is a fellowship. The word is translated as a fellowship in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. Now, I don't know if you remember, some of you might. Uh, There was an old candy bar commercial that says, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't, right? Um, Sometimes we feel the Holy Spirit's presence. It's a tangible thing. There are some moments where we are worshiping together where we sense, we feel the Holy Spirit with us. Um, Sometimes we don't. And you know what's really weird, I've talked about this with our worship leaders, uh, that sometimes it will happen where we feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in one service and in another service on the same Sunday where we're trying to do the exact same things, we don't. Sometimes you feel the Holy Spirit, sometimes you don't. Now that's a mystery to me. I have some thoughts on it, but I can just tell you, bottom line, I don't know. I don't know why. But I do know this, whether I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit or I don't, does not matter about the objective reality that the Holy Spirit is here. Because the Scripture tells us that it is no longer a building that inhabits the Holy of Holies, but rather the gathering of God's people together, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that we have a participation in the Spirit. We're not alone. Fourth possession. Any affection and sympathy. This is now relational, where the first three possessions were a possession from God the Son, from God the Father, from God the Spirit. Now we have it built into a relational possession, affection and sympathy. Now this is both vertical our relationship with God, and horizontal, our relationship with one another. But I think the vertical is primarily in mind here. This is knowledge that reaches to the deepest part of you, that you are loved and known. This is what God wants to communicate to you, that you are loved and known. God is for you, He really is for you. (laughs) That's what that word affection means. Sympathy means that he knows you. This is a knowledge that goes beyond just knowing about. It means God looks upon you with caring and gentleness that the God of the universe knows exactly what you are going through and he knows how you are feeling about it even if you don't know how you feel about it. Have you ever been asked the question, hey, how are you feeling about this? And you kind of go, I don't know. Some of us are more tuned into our feelings than others and we aren't even sure how we feel. Did you know God knows? (laughs) He knows you better than you know you. 
and he loves you. He deeply cares for you in the deepest pain that you are in. These are the possessions of the Christian. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. Well, since these four exist, what do we do? How do we make the best use of these Christian possessions? Verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Uh, Paul here is seemingly more concerned for the Philippians struggling well than the Philippians are concerned about struggling well. (laughs) He's more concerned than they are about themselves. It would be a completion or a fulfillment of joy for him to know that the Philippian believers are making the best use of the possessions that God has given them. Boy, that's the true heart of a discipler, isn't it? You know, somebody who's come alongside you to help you grow in your walk with Christ, a person who disciples you, they can sometimes care even more than you do about your spiritual progress. That's the heart of a discipler. Their joy in your growth is sometimes even greater than your joy over your growth. So, here's one way for us to think about this. We should never immediately take the exhortation of other believers as a lack of love. If a believer comes to you and has some area where they're challenging you or encouraging you, exhorting you, or even disagreeing with you, Don't immediately take that as a lack of love. On the contrary, it can be a sign of love. Now, of course, there are situations of spiritual abuse, but just because someone disagrees with the course you are taking does not mean spiritual abuse. Like Paul does here, they may simply be expressing a profound concern and love for your well-being. Specifically, Paul says that he will find his joy fulfilled as the Philippians make the best use of the possessions of the Christian in the following ways. Being of the same mind. This has to do with the unity of the church in the mission of the church the unity of the church in the mission of the church. He's not saying by being of the same mind about COVID masks or by being of the same mind about some political issue. No, by being of the same mind, the unity of the church in the mission of the church. Why do I say that? Because of how this same phrase was used back in chapter 1, verse 27. Look at it. With one mind, very end of the verse, with one mind... So, same phrase, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's what's being at work here. It's a unity of the church in the mission of the church. Now, he goes on to say that there are several ways for us to uh, define this being of the same mind. He says one way to define it is by having the same love. Another way to define it is being in full accord and of one mind. 
Uh, this is not unanimity on every issue. It is a firm commitment to the issue of the gospel. Having the same love has to do with the affections of the church. Where are our affections? Are our affections for Christ and the gospel? Or are our affections about some political issue going on in our community or other? What is our affection? Having the same love could mean the same love that God has for us. Remember, comfort from love. And it could mean that each person is supposed to have the same love for the rest of the church rather than being lone rangers doing their own thing. We'll see how that applies in the coming verses. This phrase of one mind literally means having the same soul, thinking the one. It's like friends whose hearts beat as one. It doesn't mean having the same thoughts and feelings about everything. It is rather seeking the same goal with a like mind. I'll give you two illustrations, one from the world of sports and one from the military. Um, I would imagine that if you were to take a poll of the members of the Chicago Bears, they would have all kinds of opinions on politics. They would have all kinds of opinions on uh, COVID protocols. They would have all kinds of opinions about racial issues. They'd have all kinds of opinions that would vary and be very different about literally everything. But the Chicago Bears have one goal, at least I think it is their goal. <laughs> Sometimes it's not that apparent. It is to win football games, right? That is their goal. And they will set aside all those other things in order to do that. And when a team fails to do that, what happens? They are not successful. Similarly, if you were to take a military unit, the goal of the military is to win battles, to win wars. That is the goal. And they will set aside all manner of opinions about all kinds of things in order to have the same mind about the mission that they have. In fact, there are people who will die for others who are polar opposites politically, polar opposites on nearly everything because they belong to the same military unit and they are in battle together and they will give their lives up for the other person. This is what Paul is talking about here, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Same soul thinking the one. Now, this is far more than just being agreeable. Don't come away from this message thinking, well, Pastor Scott just wants us all to be agreeable. No, 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 it's far more than that. It means, as Walter Hansen suggests, agreeing that Jesus Christ is Lord and submitting to his lordship. We'll talk more about that next week. It means agreeing to what our mission together as believers is. 
at Philippi, there likely were several opinions about the Roman Empire. I mean, there were some members of the church at Philippi who were involved in the government. Uh, Philippi was a great seat of government in the Roman Empire. And there were people probably in high position at Philippi that were in the church. There were also slaves that were there at Philippi that were in the church. There were people of high standing. There were people of low standing. There were likely several views on economics and trade. Paul is saying, can we agree to be singularly focused on our mission? So, that's how we make best use of our possessions, is by being singularly focused on the mission. Third and last question, what can we do to struggle well? What can we do to struggle well? The verse 3 begins with the word do, but actually that doesn't appear in the original text. It's a right way to translate it into English, don't get me wrong, I would translate it do, but really the verse begins with nothing. That's the word, nothing. It's trying to say, what do we do to struggle well? First answer, nothing. (laughs) You do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You do nothing from selfish ambition. Do you get the idea? It's nothing. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition means seeking one's own benefit. Whatever is for one's own benefit. What's going to be best for me and my wife and my son John, his wife, us four no more. Right? That, that attitude Paul says, do nothing from that spirit. Nothing. How much? Nothing. Nothing from that. That is mind-blowing to me. Because I always have something. (laughs) I always, I, I have a yabbit. Don't you have yabbits at your house? Yes, but. Right? Yes, but what about this or what about that? Do nothing from selfish ambition. The word conceit literally means, uh, if you translate it literally, it's empty glory. It means kingdom building, trying to make your own little kingdom look good. How much do we do for that? Nothing. Nothing. Selfish ambition, nothing conceit, but, big contrast, in humility. Humility is dependent trusting. It's not false modesty. So often what, tra- what passes for humility in our culture is just saying, oh, no, really, it's all, go ahead, you go ahead and go first, you know. It's a false modesty, like, I was here first, but I got to say it because it's the thing to say. No, no, no. no. This is dependent trusting, knowing one's weakness and the glory we possess in those four possessions 
that we are absolutely not self-focused in humility, counting others more significant than yourselves. The word others is an interesting word. It literally means counting one another's, one another's more significant than yourselves. Paul picks up on this word because I believe it's so consistent with his view of how believers are to relate to one another elsewhere in his writings. Things like love one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, count one another's as more significant than yourselves. This doesn't mean that we count one person in the church more significant than ourselves. It means that we count everyone more significant than ourselves. That's what the one another's here is all about. While I'm on that, I'll just share a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Um, I, I, I don't like it. And doesn't mean that if it happens, I'm going to you know, freak out or anything, because it's not my kingdom. But I don't like it when we say, hey, let's all share our names and how long we've been at East White Oak. Like how long we've been at a place is some measure of significance. It's, it's not a measure of significance or weight or importance. It is saying rather what, we're, what we want to do is to communicate in every way that we can that everyone is important and we count others more significant than ourselves. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, counting others more significant than ourselves, not looking to our own interests, not only looking to our own interests, but also looking to the interests of others. You know, people do look to their own interests, don't they? Paul is not saying very much at all about our own interests here, except that those interests should be subservient to others and to our mission. Some make the mistake of saying that Paul is saying here that we should love ourselves before we love others. Others make the mistake of saying that Paul wants people to have no self-interest at all. Now, what Paul is assuming here is that people have self-interest. He wants us not only to look to our own, but also to the interests of others. Self-interest, self-love, that belongs to modern psychology, not to Pauline instruction. What Paul is saying is that the basic orientation of our life in Christ is others-oriented. This word others is also interesting because it's others, there's, there's, when it, when it, in, in verse 4, it's a different word for others than in verse 3. The word others in verse 4 there's two possible ways that Paul could, two words that he could have used, others of a same kind or others of a different kind. Guess which one he uses here. Each one of you should look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Others like you or others who are different from you? The answer is, of course, he said, others who are different from you. These are revolutionary words in a COVID world, my friends. 
over how we have lived in the last 18 months, these words are blowing my mind. And I am as deeply convicted as I hope you are by reading them. The obstacle to unity is not true difference of opinion, but self-centeredness. As we are unified about the mission of the church, we can in humility struggle well. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Would you pray with me? As we go to prayer, I would like us to look at verse 1. Which possession is there here that the Lord is speaking to you about? Either one that you have ignored, or one that you particularly cherish, or one that just has grabbed your attention in this hour. Take it and express to God your thanks for that possession and ask Him to enable you to possess it with a greater sense of joy and appreciation for it. Now look at verse 2, and where you have lost sight of the mission of the church and the joy of the unity of the mission of the church, ask the Lord to forgive you and ask Him for help in staying on mission, in being a worshiper maturing in Christ, seeking to help others come to know the Savior. Now in verse 3, ask the Lord to point out to you things you are doing from selfish ambition or conceit.
And now ask him for help in figuring out how to count others, the one another's of the whole body, as more significant than yourself. Now ask the Lord to help you to look not just to your own interests, but to the interests of others who are different from you. Father in heaven, we thank you for this text of Scripture that helps us struggle well in humility. We're humbled by this text. I pray for East White Oak Bible Church that we would walk in this way. And Lord, I pray for the larger evangelical church in the world that has been fractured over these past 18 months over a wide range of issues. That there would be a renewal, a revival of mission, and that we could all be on the same team. For Jesus' sake, amen. It's so right and good that we take time to remember what our Lord Jesus did for us. And you know, everyone is welcome at this table who has put their faith and hope in Jesus. If you have not put your faith and hope in Christ and you would like to, now is a moment where you can do that. Simply say to the Lord, Lord, I know that you love me and made me. I know that I'm broken by my sin. I know that Jesus came into this world to die for my sins and that when he shed his blood, he paid for my sin at the cross. I trust that what he did pays for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead and I believe that he'll grant me eternal life. When you make that profession, you are in Christ. Everyone in Christ is welcome at this table. And if you have, would like to participate and somehow did not get uh, uh, the elements, please lift up your hand. We'll see to it that the ushers will come by to serve you. Okay, there's one down right down here at the front. Any others? Okay, very good. That's okay, Eleanor. I love you too. She's a sweetheart. You know, the body of Christ is so precious. You know what Eleanor did one day? She, uh, she wanted to see my Bible, and she wanted to show, her, show me her Bible. Isn't that sweet? I love children. In our worship, it's all good. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and 
When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This being the second week in Advent, we focus now our attention on preparation for the Lord's coming. I'd like to read some verses from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Go up, go on up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, dear brothers and sisters, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen.